So because we're all stuck at home, um, you know, our family has been trying to find a new rhythm of life during this pandemic. And for the most part, I think we have it down. We all wake up, we have breakfast, and then each of us, we do our own work until lunchtime. And then we eat again. And while the kids go on break, uh, the parents, we continue to work. And we work until about five o'clock or so, where we go out for a family run. And then we eat dinner, we wash up, we rest, we hit the reset button, and we do it all over again the next day. But out of everything, you know, the one thing I dread the most every day is that stinking one mile run at five o'clock. And I feel like as the workday goes on and I look at the clock, I feel like it's like looking at a timer of a bomb that's ticking down and it's going to explode at five o'clock. And the reason why is because I hate running. It feels like suffering. There's no joy in it for me at all. When I was a kid, I used to play sports all the time, so I didn't have to think about it. And, and you know, when you run playing sports, you have fun. And the same goes for my kids. With sports like soccer and basketball and swimming, you don't have to actually think about the exercise, but just have fun playing the sport. However, with everything shut down, with everyone constantly eating and eating at home, I've been basically forcing my family to go on a run almost every day. But because I know they hate it too, I feel like they're on the brink of giving up. And soon I feel like there's going to be a revolt coming where they're going to completely disregard for my call for family exercise. And the reason I share this is like my uh, family who wants to give up and like running, which is a terrible thing that you just don't want to do it anymore. Many of yourselves, you might find yourself suffering at this time and it may feel like you're about to crack and it's tempting to want to just give up, isn't it? However, as we return to our study of Joseph, how providential it is that we're looking at Genesis chapter 39. Because with Joseph going through what he did, suffering after suffering, the thing we want to ask today is what kept Joseph in the game? What kept Joseph from not giving up? And if we look at our text closely, there's three things that we need to see about having a persevering faith. The first thing is by seeing we need to focus on God and how he is always with us. Second, by seeing we need to focus on ourselves and God's sanctifying work in us. And lastly, we need to focus on Jesus, who is the ultimate reason we can persevere in times of suffering. And so first, to learn about having a persevering faith, we need to focus on God and how he is with us. Now, as you can imagine, knowing I hate running, that I loathe it, I don't know too much about it. But it's funny because the other day there was this one brother who posted on Facebook and how he basically unlocked the secret of running. Now, I don't know how true this is because, again, I don't know anything about running. But the thing that he noted is the number one rule in running is never look straight. Because if you look straight, it can be super depressing 
how far it is until you reach the next checkpoint and it'll tempt you to want to give up. And although I'm sure one can argue if this is true or not in terms of running, I do believe there is some spiritual truth here in terms of having a persevering faith. Because if we turn back to Joseph, we have to remember the context of our passage. Even though Joseph did nothing wrong, he was hated by his brothers. They conspired against him. He was thrown into an empty well. He was sold. He was shipped to a different country. And so can you imagine having to go through all that physical and mental suffering? And it doesn't just stop there either. Because you know what? Joseph would start over. He would begin at the bottom as a slave to a man named Potiphar. But he would get promoted and become the manager of a house. And eventually he earned so much respect of the owner the Bible tells us Potiphar entrusted everything to Joseph to oversee. But the thing is, the beginning of our passage tells us that Joseph was a handsome guy. And so his boss's wife, she didn't just hit on him, but demanded that Joseph sleeps with her. And so what was Joseph supposed to do? Well, he could have taken advantage of the situation. Because I'm sure like most high-ranking officials back then, that his wife was a trophy wife. I'm sure he could have said, how could I refuse my boss's wife? And if I do this for her, she's a powerful woman too. And it would be good to have her as an ally. And I'm sure he could have chalked it up to being a slave and fulfilling his responsibilities. But the Bible tells us he said no. And even though Potiphar's wife cornered him and literally ripped off his clothes, he was willing to run out naked. And so, wow, if you really think about the situation, we have to applaud Joseph for his integrity, his ability to say no to temptation, and his faithfulness to God. But instead, instead of getting applause, you know what happens? He gets thrown into jail because when the boss comes home, I don't know if it was out of pride or anger or embarrassment, but Potiphar's wife lies, basically saying, this slave that you brought home, he tried to rape me. And so what are you going to do about it, Potiphar? And of course, like most husbands, this enraged Potiphar. I brought you into my house and I entrusted you with everything and this is how you're going to repay me, Joseph? Forget about it. No trial, no jury. Throw him into jail and throw away the key. Now, if you read everything together, all that's happened to Joseph from his perspective he was at the top of his family, his father favoring him, but bam, he loses everything and was sold into slavery. And even after starting over, he makes it to the top again. But bam, he loses everything again. And now he's thrown into jail this time. Two times he makes it to the top and both times he's trying to just serve God just trying to be a faithful son 
and a model worker. But two times Joseph lost everything, and both times due to unjust reasons. And so, God, are you kidding me? Joseph must have been so close to cracking and wanting to throw in the towel. And so what helped Joseph not give up? Well, we don't know exactly what he was thinking in his head, but one thing's for sure that God wants us to know. Seven times in our chapter, and immediately right after he's thrown into prison, in verse 21, it tells us, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. And this is huge because if you think about it, Joseph could have easily thought, you know what? I've tried God's way over and over, but it never works out. God must either hate me or God doesn't exist. But Joseph must have known better. Because if we only praise God when things are going well, then what makes us different than unbelievers, right? Because even non-believers can rejoice and praise God when everything is going right. However, if you are a believer, then it makes a world of a difference that you believe. Because even in suffering, rather than giving up, we can still praise God. Not because things are peachy and perfect, but because we have the confidence in knowing God is with us. And so everything is going to be okay. You see, if you go back to verse 2 in our chapter, after Joseph's success, it tells us that God was with him. And now after he's thrown in jail, again, we're told God is with him. And so the point is to have persevering faith. We need to understand God is not only with us during times of prosperity, but God is with us during times of adversity and suffering. And friends, if we believe this, how can we give up, right? No, we will have a persevering faith. Second, to learn about having a persevering faith, we also need to focus on ourselves. And how God is calling us to sanctification. God is working in us to make us into a better person. To make us into that son and daughter that we are meant to be. So even though I uh, never enjoyed running, one thing that uh, I used to really like um, what is weightlifting. Because growing up in the 80s and watching Arnold Schwarzenegger as Conan uh, the Barbarian, and watching Sylvester Stallone as Rambo. Who didn't want to be like those guys, right? And so I remember when I first started working out in seventh grade, there was this senior football player that came up to me and said, and said, Tom, do you think you'll gain more muscles by working out? And even though I was a small seventh grade, I looked up to him and I said, yeah, man, I'm going to get more muscles than you one day. And he laughed, saying, you're such a dummy. You don't get more muscles by working out. Everyone has the same amount of muscles. But when you work out, what's actually happening is your muscles are kind of tearing and ripping. But when your body heals itself and rebuilds, it builds in a denser way. And your muscles get bigger. Hence the saying, 
no pain, no gain. And I guess that's why as much as I hate running and I find it painful, I've been doing it and making my kids run with me because I know at the end of the day, it's good for me. And I share this because to learn about having a persevering faith, not only do we need to see that God is with us during the good times and the bad, but when God allows suffering and hardships in our life to happen, friends, be assured this is not random. But the Bible tells us it is for our own good to build our character and essentially to build our spiritual muscles to make us stronger and better. And we know this because if you look at our passage and follow Joseph's life, we know although technically Joseph didn't do anything wrong to, that forced his brothers to do something they didn't want to do, he didn't make his brothers sin against him. And yet, still, one could argue, Joseph could have handled the dream situation in a better way. He could have been more considerate of his brother's feelings. And although he had every right to share his dreams, he could have been more wise about how and when, and even if he should exercise that right. But it's funny because if you read carefully our text, when he's sold and he's being, uh, he's a slave and he's thrown into jail, you can see this young and almost bratty and this showy young man turn into this gentleman, this considerate and this humble person. Because when Potiphar's beautiful wife demands that Joseph sleeps with her, he could have been like, yeah, I know. I know I'm handsome. I know the ladies love me. He, I know I'm the original LL Cool J, right? Ladies love Cool Joseph. And as a slave, I'm sure he had every right that it's his duty to satisfy, to fulfill whatever his boss or his boss's wife asks. But instead, Joseph said, no, I will not exercise this right because it's wrong. And although before I never considered other people's feelings, now, how would my boss feel if I did something like this to his wife? How would God feel if I did such a wicked thing against him? And in a similar situation, many of us would have probably failed if our character was put to the test. We would probably be angry, depressed, and withdrawn because God are you serious all my life I've been trying to serve you and you're gonna allow people to poop on me and to throw me into prison but not Joseph he didn't allow for difficulties or hardships to deter him or make him into a bitter person but instead he was able to endure suffering and it matured him it helped build his character. And instead of bitterness, it just made him into a better person. And you know, as we've been looking at the book of Philippians for our daily devotions, I can't help but think about Paul too, who also grew from his sufferings. Because if you think about Paul, 
His theology was the worst, right? It was completely off. It was all about works, trying to earn God's favor. Initially, he persecuted the church and he hated Christians. And initially, he was this harsh guy who broke off his ministry with Barnabas because he refused to give guys like John Mark another chance. But after much suffering, after being blinded, after he couldn't eat for days and drink for days, he was shipwrecked, snake bitten, stoned, flogged to death almost. And he was also thrown into prison too, like Joseph. And he must have been thinking, why, Lord, why? But instead, he grew from one of the biggest legalists to probably having the greatest understanding of the gospel. Because there's no one who will outright Paul in the, in the Bible. He grew from being a persecutor of the church to one of the greatest church planters. And he grew from being this harsh man to being a man of grace, constantly championing and encouraging forgiveness in the church. And so you have to ask, how did Joseph do it? How did Paul do it? How did they endure such suffering and keep the faith? And the answer is these guys knew suffering may hurt and it may hurt and uh, put an end to their old way of life, but surely not their new way of life. If anything, it would en enhance it and it would make it stronger. And that's why Paul wrote in Romans, Therefore, since we have been justified, justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And check this out in verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that sufferings produce endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And so do you see, friends, to have a uh, persevering faith, it's coming to understand that God will use difficulties to build our spiritual muscles. Lastly, to learn about having a persevering faith, we need to focus on Jesus, who's the ultimate reason we can persevere in times of suffering. You see, throughout our chapter, and actually throughout the Bible, God gives us reasons after reasons why we can have a persevering faith. Telling us, yes, like running, suffering stinks. But it's good for us, and it builds our spiritual muscles and builds our character. The Bible tells us, don't quit, because you can do it. God is with us during the good times and the bad. But if you go back to verse 21, if you read it quickly, it's easily to miss this, uh, easily, you can easily miss this detail. But after Joseph is thrown into prison, scripture tells us again, yes, the Lord is with Joseph, but it also tells us God showed him steadfast love. Now, as I was preparing this message this week, I wondered what this steadfast love looked like. Would it be the assurance that no one or no virus would ever hurt him ever again? 
Would it be the assurance that he would be with the white collar prisoners? That he would get extra dinner rolls, extra TV time or extra comfort that the other prisoners wouldn't get? Or maybe it's the fact that when he gets out, he's going to be set for life. He's going to have a higher paying job and he's going to get rewarded for being silent and not ratting anyone out and just enduring the pain. No, this was probably not what it meant to show love. And even though I can't say for sure what God showed him, my guess is whenever scripture talks about God's steadfast love in the Old Testament, many times it's in reference to God's unbreakable promise to always be with his people. And to ensure that it will happen, God promised a Messiah will come and save the day. And although Joseph wouldn't live to completely see it, God's promise would come true. Over time, God would be with guys like Moses and the Israelites during good times when God would carry them up to the mountaintop. And as time progressed, God would also be with David and with his people during tough times and bad times. And he promised, even as you walk down through the valley of shadow of death, I will be with you. You have nothing to fear. And then in the fullness of time, God would send the promised Messiah. But he would be a better prophet than Joseph in his dreams. He would be a better priest than Moses ever was. And he would be a better king than King David. And his name was Jesus. Who like Joseph would drop down from a high position down to something low. Washing the feet of his servants. Who like Joseph would also be falsely accused and set up by men. And yet Jesus was better and yet Jesus was a greater Joseph. He didn't just get sent to prison just to save Jacob and his brothers. No, Jesus got the death sentence in order to save all of humanity, all of God's people, and to ensure God's steadfast love, no matter how desperate or how bad things look. And that's why guys like Joseph, guys like Paul, they were able to suffer rather than giving up and thinking that God abandoned them. They're able to have persevering faiths because Joseph, he was shown God's love and he would look ahead to God's promise. And Paul was able to see God's love too. As he looked back on the cross, remembering what Jesus did. And that's why he's able to write and say, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, 
nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And friends, I tell you, if we really get this, then we can be assured of God's love and will have a persevering faith. And so if you're a Christian this morning, let me share one more practical reason to uh, persevere. This past week, Pastor Chris has been sharing some really great insights with me. And he shared this one excerpt and a quote by Walter Trobisch, who wrote this. Suffering makes immature love grow into mature love. Immature, unlearned love is egotistical love. It's the kind of love that a child has. A love which claims and wants immediately. It cannot endure tension and has no patience with anything which stands in the way. It demands and consumes and tries to dominate. So true, right? And if it's true that immature love is like this, that it's selfish and egotistical, then it means mature love is selfless and for other people. And so one more thing about suffering is that we can pers uh, persevere through it. Not only because it's sanctifying and for our own good, but many times it's also for the good of our family, our neighbors, and the community around us. If you think about it, Joseph suffered for his family and his country. Paul suffered in order for the gospel to advance. And Jesus suffered to save all believers for all times. And so why and how can we persevere through suffering? Suffering matures our love to be selfless. And if we can mature our love through suffering, it will help our family, it will help our community, and surely it will help towards God's glory. This kind of suffering is so worth it, isn't it? If you're not a Christian, let me ask you, what gives you the strength to get through each day? Is it a matter of sheer willpower, your own determination, your own grit and strength? And if these are the things that have gotten you through life thus far, kudos to you. And thank God for the amazing inner strength he has given you. However, if the pressures and sufferings of this life has yet to crack you or make you want to give up, the Bible tells us you'll never be able to stand on that final day when you stand before your maker because you need to be perfect. And there's no one perfect, no one that will have enough strength to stand on their own might. And so if you're not a believer this morning, would you go to Jesus? Come experience, come taste and see his steadfast love. And then surely you'll be able to stand. You'll be able to endure anything in this life and the life after. And your faith will be able to endure for eternity.